Welcome to Kindergarten Kiosk. Hello everyone, welcome to Kindergarten Kiosk. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kathy. And today we're going to be talking about guided reading. <laughs> well great, because I've been thinking about guided reading a lot today. I sell, on Teachers Pay Teachers, I sell uh, guided readers and I love them. They're really dear to my heart because, well... They're your babies. They're my babies. Because you've worked so hard on those little guided readers. I did work hard (laughs) on them. And I think they're adorable and they're theme-based and the kids love them. And they get to take them home and color them and practice them. And I've just seen so many kids learn to read by using those guided readers. So, yeah, I love them. You're protective (laughs) of them. I'm protective of them. And I had a purchaser that left a comment that said, these are great guided readers, but I wish they would have been skill-based. Guided readers are a method for teaching skills, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And so I thought we should talk a little bit about scaffolding and how to use guided readers to make the bridge from teacher-led reading activities to independent activities. Because really that's what guided reading is. It's kind of like you're on one side where you're reading to students and on this side of the bridge is they're independently reading and you kind of drag them in the middle of the bridge (laughs) (laughs) and you do guided reading. And then you hope they can inch a little along that bridge by themselves a little bit more the next time. (laughs) You know, lots of districts have official terminology for that to with and bide thing you just described. But I don't think any... Well, I was just going to say, I think it's to with and by in my district. But it's never been described so eloquently as your little (laughs) drag them across analogy you just did. That was beautiful. I think all districts should adopt that philosophy. I think they should because the two with and by, boring, (laughs) drag along the bridge. Great. (laughs) So would you share a typical guided reading lesson in your classroom? Sure. Let's use one of my books that I sell on Teachers Pay Teachers because I love them. (laughs) Because you love them. Okay. I do. I love them. Which one? Um, I have one actually called The Family. And it's on our blog, and it's actually, if you go on our blog and click on the picture, it's free. So who doesn't like free? Free is good. And it's a great book, and the words are, um, it's got sight words in it of I am the and like. Mm -hmm. And so what I will do is after I select what reader I'm going to do, I group the children into generally... I, I don't always have kids that like reading abilities together because I'm in kindergarten, that's not as important as a first grade classroom, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Because in kindergarten, they learn from each other so much. Mm-hmm. And you can really work with kids on an individual level in a group. Does that make sense? I think, well, I think that's true in first grade too because sometimes you are grouping kids well you you don't always group kids by reading level sometimes you group kids by some commonality that they all need to learn about in their reading and i'm going to be honest in, in older sometimes grades i just too, group so. kids by who i feel like can sit by each other at the time or <laughs> maybe i want two girls and two boys i just don't really always worry 
about where they, what level they are at mm-hmm. during a guided reader. Because you can As, reach even them. Even the kids who are really advanced in the class and they're reading level maybe G, mm-hmm. when I don't mind sometimes having them with kids read levels A and B. Now, that's only sometimes because, you know, you do want to group them in like abilities many times. In fact, most times. But sometimes I just pull kids over. So anyway, you choose your book and then you choose your group that you want to work with. And you need to remember that you're going to try to pull them across the bridge. And (laughs) so the first thing that is probably the most important is having reading strategies. And at the beginning of the year, which I think I'll mostly focus on a lesson that you do like maybe October, November in kindergarten because the school year's over and we're all now thinking about next year. The beginning of the year. Yeah, and so the probably one of the most important things at the beginning of the year, well, if not the most important, is teaching a child how to track print and how mm-hmm. to, and I call it in my strategies, um, to point at the word our voice is saying. Mm-hmm. So uh, what, I, what I begin with at the beginning of guided reading lessons early on in the year basically week one, is setting strategies. And my strategy number one is teaching children how to sit, um, seat to seat, back to back, on the floor are my feet. This is how we read. This is how we sit quietly in this chair while I do this lesson. (laughs) That's your first strategy. (laughs) (laughs) That's my first strategy. And in kindergarten, it is the most important strategy because... Honestly, I can't stand kids teetering on their chairs and licking tables and all that stuff. <laughs> licking tables. <laughs> <laughs> so we have that cute little poem of seat to seat, back to back, seat to seat, on the floor are my feet. And the kids say, but my feet can't touch the floor. <laughs> and so I change it to back to back, seat to seat, uh, to the floor, my point. My feet do point. Is it to the floor I point? It rhymes. It's got to be Back to back, seat to seat, to the floor I point my feet. That would rhyme. There, that's what we do. (laughs) That sounds way more rhyming. And you call yourself the queen of rhyming. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's strategy number one. And the second thing that I really work on is tracking print. Mm -hmm. And the way to begin tracking print is to have kids point at objects and name them. And so um, that would be the mini lesson. So as I'm preparing and I have them ready to sit, then I'm going to do a mini lesson for what my object is going to be of the the guided reading lesson. And I generally have one or two or even three um, mini lessons. And the first one that I would do in this case is pointing at the words your voice is saying. Strategy number two. <laughs> and so I will ha- get out like two mini ob- little mini objects and have the kids point at them. Robot watermelon. And then just pass them along and have the kids point at them as they're saying. And then twist them around and have them point and say. And then add another object. And then just show. You mean twist them around, like put them in a different order? Yeah, put them in a different order. Sometimes the visual on podcast is not there. But I took my hands (laughs) and I switched them around. (laughs) I'm clarifying for you. Yeah, thanks. 
And so... So for your kids who... I'm interrupting you, sorry. But for your kids who are on higher levels, you still want to teach them this strategy of pointing to... of tracking print because... That's what they need to do when they get to something tricky, right? Is jump back in with their finger. It really is. And I've really noticed that a lot of kids that come into kindergarten reading Mm -hmm. skip a lot of words when they're reading, Mm -hmm. which as adults we do do. We skip words that when we're reading. But when a kid is learning how to read, you do not want them to have that strategy of skipping words because when they get into higher reading and into content reading, it's going to really bite them. They're going to have a real difficult time reading content. And so even kids that are coming to kindergarten reading, I found that really benefit from tracking the print during guided reading because it teaches them to tune into to make sure the words skip. and to not skip okay. words. So continue your little lesson. It's, it's cute. <laughs> All right. So after we do two objects, then I'll add a third, and then I will have them pull objects out for each other. Now, this is really quick. I'm only spending probably a maximum of two minutes on this portion of the mini lesson. And then I will have the objects at a center for free choice where they can actually practice pulling out objects and pointing and saying You make them practice left to right, right? And so after I do that strategy, yeah. 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 Just curious. Just checking because it's a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So after that strategy, then um, I will do, like I told you in this book, the family are the sight words, Mm -hmm. I and the and like. So I will have some Mm flashcards and just do I like the really quick with flashcards, and then I will take the cards (laughs) and lay them left to right in I like the, and then pull out an object, like robot, and then I'll point, I like the robot, and then push the the sentence to the kid to point, I like the robot, and then I'll take the robot off and put a new object, push it to the new next kid, and they'll point and say, I like the watermelon. watermelon. And so I'll do that a few times just to practice kind of the strategy. And probably then then the next thing after I've done a mini lesson or two, which are very quick. Mm-hmm. How much time then, would you say you spend on a little mini lesson portion? Oh, probably probably no more than five minutes, but usually two to three And minutes. how long does it, one group usually spend with you? I do 13-minute groups. 13-minute groups. So two to five minutes is your mini lesson, and then what do you do? All right, and then the next thing I do is introduce the book, and so I will take one copy of the book for me, and then I will talk about the book, the pages, as we turn the look at the book. So I'll have the cover cover (laughs) so I'll have the cover and say this book is about the family Mm -hmm. I love my family how about you yeah 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 just a quick little background um, knowledge thing thing. yeah and if if I have if my mini lessons took last time then I will spend a longer time on background knowledge but because this isn't the focus of this particular lesson this particular lesson I chose tracking print and the sight words Mm -hmm. that I will just do a very brief overview and then I'll turn to the next page and I'll say 
this father looks like he's holding a dog. And then I'll turn the next page. What do you see here? And then just ask the whole group to talk about what the pictures are. So we'll go page one by one and talk about all the pages and um, what is ha what is happening on each page. And if there's any vocabulary words in the story, which is hard because I don't have the book in front of me and I'm <laughs> using that particular one. But if there are any vocabulary words in the story and... And I'll just say um, cooking. I don't know, because maybe the mom is cooking on this page. And so when I, when I say, what's, what's this page about? And they say, it's a mom. What's she doing? And, oh, well, maybe, maybe the word is baking. Oh, baking and so they might say, they might say, yeah, the mom is cooking. And I'm like, yeah, what do you think the mom is baking? And so I will turn what they said around and use the vocabulary word that they're going to see in the book. Mm -hmm. And so this will kind of set the stage for when they reach that word. Hopefully, the kids that are ready will look that the word starts with a ba mm -hmm. and remember the word baking. That means cooking. Okay. So you've done a mini lesson. You've done a mini lesson. You do a mini lesson and... You build their then prior the knowledge walk. in a picture walk. And what do you do? All right. So next I will pass a book out to each kid so they'll have their own copy. And I'll remind them of the strategy of now we're going to read this book and we're going to remember to point at the word our voice is saying. And so... And not lick the table. <laughs> yes. Don't lick the, the table, Jessica. <laughs> Jessica, quit <laughs> licking the table. <laughs> I hope you don't really have a student named Jessica who licks the table and you just There was a everyone. girl when you were in kindergarten and her name was Jessica. <laughs> and I went to help in the classroom and all she would do the whole time I was working with your group was lick the table. <laughs> she drove me crazy. So I'm talking about a Jessica that was in kindergarten, what, 25 years ago? <laughs> so sorry, Jessica. I hope you're not licking tables anymore. I hope hopefully she's not licking tables I hope you outgrew it. <laughs> okay, so... My, I forgot what you were talking about. <laughs> all right, so I pass all the kids their copy and remind them of the strategies. Okay. <laughs> and... <laughs> all right, next I pass all of the students their own copy, and this is going to be their copy that they get to keep and take home forever in their book box, which we should talk about book boxes sometime. Why don't you stop a minute and talk about them right now? All right. It's not that complicated <laughs> to talk about a book box. It doesn't need its own well, okay. 20 minutes to you put into it. <laughs> and you put a book in it. <laughs> glad so that's there over. You go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one thing I like to do at the beginning of the year is get a book box at the, stu at the child's home. And I've done it a number of ways. I've bought... Uh, um, one of those plastic shoe boxes when they were on sale for 50 cents a piece and had the kids decorate them and bring them home. And that's the box that they'll keep their books in. But I found that the kids didn't love those book boxes until I started having book box decorating contests. 
And so <laughs> I just gave a little homework for all the kids to find any box and decorate it and then bring it to school. And we had a special book box show and tell. And so the kids mm-hmm. showed the their creation. And we had some cool stuff. I had like this cookie monster that was amazing. And so it was really fun. And the thing I liked about that was the kids who just had a plastic shoebox with some stickers on it, which I had done with them and you know, another class prior to that. And I found my kids didn't like them. Well, I found that if the kid made it at home with their parents and brought it for the show and tell, all of a sudden they loved that same creation that we would have created in school. It was a lot. There's more just special. something about doing it at home with your family that makes that book box now become special. And so then um, that day that we have the book box show and tell, I always make sure I have our very first guided reading. And on that very first guided reading, then we all go get, they go get their book box when we're done and they put the book in their book box and take the book home in the book box. So I had them do the very first first put the book in so they kind of got the idea of what it was. Then they could make a little collection during the year. And and it's really important. We all want our kids to keep those things home, that the guided readers, because parents can really help their kids with the reading, learn to read process with those books. Plus, kids, as the year is developing, because you're sending home progressively harder guided reading books, they can go back and then in, read independently those books and really feel the success of that bridge, <laughs> <laughs> getting over to that other side of the bridge on their own. And so that's a real important part. But back to, I pass a book to each student. <laughs> back to that, okay. <laughs> You pass the book to each student. And I remind them of sitting straight. We're back here. We're back all the way to don't lick the table. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And then we practice um, tracking the print. And as we're reading, I really uh, make sure that I'm focusing on each child. And if someone's having a hard time I'm tracking the print, you know, then I'll move my finger over and help them track. But I have my book open in front of me, and I've done it several ways. I've done it where I hold my book up facing the kids that you would think would be the best way. Mm -hmm. But honestly, putting my book on the table, which is now going to be upside down to all the students, and modeling the tracking like I am reading the book myself Mm -hmm. is really the most effective. The kids somehow can translate that upside downness in their brain because they see me reading. If I hold it up like this in front of them and track the print, then you're not modeling what they it looks want like. To, they want to mimic me. They want to hold theirs up, or they just, for some reason, their brain doesn't get that tracking the print like it does if my book is on the table just like theirs. And so now we'll go through the book um, step by step and just do a choral reading together. And I lead the reading and kind of do some pauses a little bit so that, you know, they might be able to say the word before I say it. And I like to use patterned books at the beginning. Like the the dad is I like my brother. Yeah, there you I go. Like, my sister. <laughs> like that? With a surprise on the last page. <laughs> I like my family. The surprise <laughs> is the my <Yeah>. and <laughs> And so because the whole purpose of guided reading is to cross Mm -hmm. that bridge, 
you want it to be in a pattern that's predictable and easy for them to follow and they feel success. And so then after we've read it through once, then I like to do detective. And on detective, I have highlighter and they grab a yellow highlighter and I will choose, uh, I will hold up the three sight words and ask one of the kids, which sight word should we find? And so I'll let them select which sight word they want. And they might even just touch it because they can't read it yet. And so if they point at the, I'll say the. All right, detectives, ready, go. And when I say ready, go, then they'll use their highlighter and circle all the thes in the book. And they like it because <laughs> who doesn't want to be a detective? <laughs> so then after that step, then I will um, either reread together with the group Coralie or I really like at that time if I have um, I if I have four in my group and I have at least five minutes remaining then I like to take the time to listen to each child one by one read and show me their reading strategies so at that time I tell the kids to sign their name and color you're the first reader and then I will focus on Johnny and then I'll focus on Susie, and then I'll focus on Ben, and then I'll get Jessa to quit, <laughs> in quit your, licking the table. <laughs> in your 13 <laughs> minutes, can... how often do you have time to listen to them individually after all the other parts of the lesson? How many days a week, or how? Well, the, what's your question? I, I'm always overwhelmed by all the components of a guided reading lesson but you seem to get them all in and still have time to listen to each kid individually at the end and I want to know how you fit it all in <laughs> well I think that it's called simplicity because there's so much to do at the guided reading table that we want to do it all and so I think the key is to choose one thing or maybe two things, and that's going to be your focus. And then, because your most important thing is to really listen to that child read to you. Mm -hmm. And so you want to have all those steps so that then they can have one successful experience. And then generally after that, after I have that reader read, I have them sign their name. And after they sign their name, they can grab one of the animals out of the basket and then read it one more time to their animal. Then I go to the next kid. And so I do it really quickly. I'm moving, 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 moving so that hopefully they can all have three opportunities to read. One as a choral group, one to me, one to an animal. By which you mean a and stuffed so animal. And so I try... <laughs> yeah, stuffed animal. <laughs> I don't bring Bella to school. Yes, <laughs> your Bella puppy would, would like be that. really happy to have all the children be there. <laughs> and I mean a beanie a small animal, beanie baby not a giant animal. one because of the guided reading yeah at the guided reading table I mean I have the big animals mm -hmm. over at the reading center the library but at the guided reading table I just want a little beanie there to sit and watch their book so they have someone to read it to in my old building I had a principal that was just really a sport and I was close to the principal office and I would send kids <laughs> with their book to read to her all the time <laughs> and she said one to me one time to me don't you think I have anything to do in my office I said I just thought you'd love to hear them <laughs> I would send them all the time because I wanted to get those kids those three opportunities 
And that's kind of what research shows, that if a child has had three opportunities to read a book, then they're going to be able to, they're more likely that they'll be able to independently read that book when they get home to their parents. So I have a question for you. Because when I taught first grade, I grew to hate, hate books that were repetitive and had a pattern. Because in first grade, there were so mm-hmm. many kids who turned their brains off. Because in first grade, there were a lot of kids who had had nothing but pattern books all through kindergarten. So by the time they got to first grade, their brains had turned off. And they weren't decoding. They just expected everything to be a pattern. And if it wasn't a pattern, they just guessed. So, but then when I got to kindergarten, I realized how important of a scaffold a pattern book is to a kid who's just starting out. So my question to you is, how do you keep that to be, how do you keep pattern books as a scaffold and not as a crutch? Well, level, yeah, it is. Leveled A books and level B books definitely need to have a pattern because those children are not at the independence to be able to read independently. They're not at... They don't have enough. They they don't have enough skills to read independently without yeah. a pattern. Yeah, and we want right? them to feel success. We want the pattern is the the their pattern scaffold is their scaffold. Point. Now, when you get to level C books, and I've done these a lot with my paper books, is a level C book. The kind of the first ones I do are um, I do opposite patterns. So I'll do I mm. see the dog. The dog can see a bug. And the next page, I see a cat. The cat can see a chick. I see a chick. Can the chick see the dog? So then I will change the pattern into a third time in the book. And then I will end the book with something that's a completely different pattern using kind of those same words. So it's really important that after your kids have had adequate practice with pattern books, that then you have them go to pattern books that still give them some scaffold support, but change it just enough that they have to use their sight word or, yeah. They have to look. So you think that the key to it is when you're trying to get a kid who, who, when you're trying to scaffold a kid to the next level after a pattern book, is picking those level C books carefully mm-hmm. so that they are they still have support but it's not as dependent yeah. on I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And I think that you use a couple of those and then it's really important after you've used a couple of those to go to those books, those um sightword reader books that you have on our site that um they the have ones to... I made that don't have pictures in them? Yeah, tell us I about those. those ones. Well, I, I liked those because they seem to help kids get out of the... They seem to give them support without making them dependent on the pictures. Because I also have ki- had kids who would stop decoding because they would just guess from the pictures. So I made a couple little sight words that are really easy, but they have no pictures. The pictures are at the end of the book, and they have to cut them out and glue them on the right page. It's been a while since I made them, so I can't remember an example. But those seem to help uh, move them out of the pattern. 
the pattern books. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, a big chunk of my kids who were not moving, I gave them those books, and it really helped them to move to the next level, which was probably D at that point, or mm-hmm. E. Yeah, so really, I, in my opinion, really level C's whole purpose is to get the kids to become less dependent on patterns and more dependent on other strategies of decoding and and um, word families. What how, else? how long do you let a kid be in A and or B before you try to get them to C? Because A and B are so similar and I feel like you can let a kid be in there too too long. Is that the only not true? Real, the only real difference between a level A and a level B reader there in really my isn't <laughs> much of a difference. Yeah, the only difference is sight word knowledge. There's more because sight words the, in B. Than yeah, a. there's more sight words in a B, and so the more sight words a kid has, and the more they know, because you know you really do right. have to That's teach the strategy, strategy to look at the picture for clues. Right. That that's our strategy number three. So it's a real important strategy. And so really a level A and a level B is not that giant of a jump. And I really am not mm-hmm. going to rush my kids out of a level B. I'm very comfortable and happy if they're still reading level Bs in January. Because I know that I can make that jump from B to D very easily through scaffold-guided readings. Mm-hmm. If I just am strategic about what I'm teaching and if I use level C's appropriately and choose them with the purpose of moving them to independence and I use those um, sight word books where they have to cut the picture out and match the picture with the page and really use a lot of higher order thinking, then I'm not worried they're going to get there. So I want them to spend a good chunk, probably the whole first semester, on A and B books. You know, I'm not talking about the kids who are just on their who came own. came in already reading. Yeah, already going to level <laughs> D, E, G, F, whatever. Yes. Yeah, That's those a different kids, story I altogether. teach a whole different way at the guiding reading table. I'm talking about typical mm-hmm. kindergartners learning to read. Which I guess the moral of the story is, if you plan that guided reading chunk strategically, then you can address whatever needs you need to address there yeah I think it's all about strategic teaching what all teaching is is just strategic and so that's kind of what I do at my guided reading table the skills you know my mini lesson is kind of just to get them ready for the the book reading of the book Mm -hmm. other skills and sight word practice and word work practice I'm doing other places in the room and with parent volunteers or independent centers. And that's where I'm really worrying about if they're doing a sight word game. Because I feel like my time needs to be on taking them across the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So probably the last thing I like to do with guided reading is I like to give the time the kids time to talk about it. And because I do guided reading in centers, sometimes I like to have the very next center where they can do something with the book. Like if we had the book on families, then I would like them to go maybe to the writing center next where they can draw a picture of their family. 
or if the guided reader was on book on bears, excuse me, if the guided reader was on bears, then maybe they will go to the listening center to listen to a story on real bears and then maybe go to the writing center and write a story on bears. So queen of thematic teaching. I'm the queen of thematic teaching. You are. And thematic teaching, if you have not tried it, is fun. <laughs> it is fun. And it is just so valuable because kids I I don't know how do we how do I say it? Because thematic teaching is the best. So there. <laughs> <laughs> because because thematic teaching really sparks children's interest. It does, and it work, and it, and thematic teaching matches how a child learns. Children try to make sense of things and make order of things they're learning, and so if you're teaching in a thematic way, it makes sense to them. All right, so that's what I do at my guided reading table. Thanks and I for usually, sharing. You're welcome. I usually, <laughs> I one more thing. No. I do, <laughs> I do have a lot of people that ask how often I do guided reading. So maybe I'll just close with answering that question. Okay. At the, I try to listen to a child read at least four times a week. And so I do guided reading of some sort four days a week. Now, two to three days a week, I will do it at my guided reading table. But the other one, I will do guided reading whole group with all my class because uh, I really like to do the partner share and the partner reading and have them, after we do the choral read, I send the kids around the room to sit anywhere and read the book and come back to the rug when they're finished or to go read it to something or someone in the room. So that's how I do four times a week. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at kindergartenkiosk.com and you have a whole section on guided reading that should be very useful i do and oh make sure you click on that section for guiding read guided reading under teaching tips on the menu bar and scroll down and you'll see the picture of the book the family and click on that and it's free great and if you'd like to contact us you can write us at kindergartenkiosk at gmail.com Today we have something to share from Sarah Ann who talks about how she uses play in her classroom. As an early childhood educator, she says, I facilitate children's play adventures early in the morning, hoping to capitalize and use those free choice times to introduce new skills and standards while also reinforcing or expanding their thoughts of these skills. I want to create the connections to real world learning and the actual foundation for skills and content rather than simply teaching skills in isolation for the children to then practice. My purpose for opening the morning with free choice and play is because I want the children to draw on their play throughout their day. This also allows for me to make personal connections to the children so that when introducing or reinforcing skills, I can invite children to discuss their play from earlier that day or week. This reflection and self-generated learning creates more meaningful connections for the children and also increases retention of skills. During play, I want them to ask questions. I want them to problem solve. I want them to use their environment. I want them to use each other as supporters. I want them to learn from each other. I want them to use their imaginations. I want them to want to learn. Ultimately, I want them to have the drive and inspiration to continue learning each day from their surroundings, from each other, and from their research. I want them to continue this learning throughout their day. I want the children to write about their play during their writing. I want them to find books about their play during their reading. I want them to plan about their play during their math. I want them to connect their learning here, there, and everywhere. 
During their play, educators know that they are learning math, science, reading, writing, social skills, even history and more. Play is so easily integrated and naturally integrated across all areas. By asking questions and inspiring the children to ask questions, we, the children and educator, can work together to find answers while we, educators, develop lifelong learners. Play is the ultimate differentiation and integration, and this is just one very important reason I use play in my personal classroom. Thank you so much for sharing, Sarah Ann. We'd love to hear that. Our email again is kindergartenkiosk at gmail.com if you'd like to share something from your classroom. And we'd like to thank bensound.com for our music. And thank you to Bridges Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Lindsay. Bye, Mom. Kindergarten Kiosk is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, a network of podcasts for educators by educators. For more information, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. That's E-D-U podcastnetwork.com. Now can I listen to it?